0: Paul says to me, um, Paul Jakeway, oh, I listen to your sermon sometimes online and it always sounds like you're talking about the same thing. Which was enormously encouraging. But I I am talking about the same thing. I'm basically talking about Jesus is alive and what does it matter in our lives. And and we're talking about uh, post-Easter, which is the thing he was referring to because I keep on saying, well, after Easter. Well, the whole point of everything building up The whole point of Easter is to launch us into what what comes after Easter, which is life on earth with God's Spirit in us. And it is so unbelievable that we are a people. You know, there's a a reason why Coca-Cola has billboards and advertisements and you don't just have one. They're all over the place. And they get updated and they get repeated again and again. Why? Because the message is life goes better with Coke and all the rest of it. and and so the same is true with us you know there's an element where we need repetition, repetition, repetition reminder, reminder declaration, declaration because there is something in us that is so wed to this world that is so wed to I've got to survive and I've got to make it it's you know God says God helps those who help themselves how many believe that? it's a lie it's actually not in the Bible it's one of those legends and fantasies God helps those yes who respond Giving something God to work with is helpful. Uh, Passively waiting for God to do things is a waste of time. Some people will be like in the wilderness their whole lives because they're waiting for God to do something else and he's already done an enormous amount. So what do you say on Father's Day? I'm not going to beat up fathers. I love fathers. I think fathers are amazing. And I think fathers are um, an interesting breed. I wonder if we went through this room what your experience of father was we might find a lot of different expressions. I say that because I'm always sensitive on Mother's Day and Father's Day to the losses in people's lives where they haven't got that. But because God sort of trumps it he gives us other fathers and mothers to, to stand in the gap. Um, here's a, a video clip. I thought it was just a along these lines that I thought was helpful so what if that's a picture of God what if that last image playing fooling around is also part of the father's love and all of us why we need one another is because we have imbalanced experiences of of God as father I mean my father was a a, a good man he was a man who uh, was an accountant and he was a an honest man, and uh, disciplined. But as a father to me, I had no emotional attachment to him, and he didn't bring gifts, um, and I had no sense of generosity. I had no sense of being told I was loved. And that's—I'm not, not trying to—you know—this has gone on a long time. But all I'm trying to say is that God's, as a father, began healing through other men through other situations that made up what was lacking. Of course you always walk with a limp. That's just life. What God gave me was enough to be able for me to be able to say, if you asked my two daughters what I'm like as a father, they will tell you that I'm a great father. And I'm not boasting. It's the only thing I've done well. But they will tell me that they know that I love them, that I'm there for them, whether they've screwed up or not, and that I go out of my way to visit them, and that um, we keep in touch and that it's good and I'm proud of that and I'm just saying that to encourage us to you know there's something really really important about this when Jesus began his public ministry God didn't sort of say to John the Baptist um, John the Baptist here comes Jesus baptize him and then put your arm around him and say Jesus here is the son of God and he is going to do ministry and all kinds of things. He didn't say that. Jesus came out of the water and he said, this is my son whom I love and whom I'm well pleased. I think that was the ordination vow, release vow, uh, promise of the father over his son that released ministry through Jesus. The relationship of father through us is, is profound. And that's why God is always wanting to meet us as father. He's not a religious object. He doesn't want to be believed in. There's a huge difference between believing and knowing you have a father and having a relationship with a father. Yes, I believe I have a father. He exists and I know his name and I know where he lives. I know where he died. I know what the thing was. There's a huge difference knowing the facts about a father and having a father who says, this is my son. How many of you had a father who said that over you regularly? Put your hand up. It's not to judge. I'm just trying to show you that it, that's it's, it's so true it's it's very very few and that's why god wants to creep up on us and say that I can fill that gap you don't have to be defined but what by what you were deprived of as a child I can restore to you things the locusts have eaten or that you you know I understand why my father was like he was but understanding it and explaining it still doesn't make it I can't redeem those years, so I forgive him, I love him, but it's still a, a, a lack and that's where God comes in and says that I can be what you lost and so he has been doing that over the years he's been slowly restoring I think years that were lost, feelings that were lost, emotions that were lost and it goes on and on and on as Ken Signal always says, I blame the Father you know every time you have a problem, I blame the Father. Fathers are very significant, and I wanted to wrap this father 's day talk into Peter going to Peter and John going up to the temple and they 're going up to the temple at three o'clock in the afternoon to pray and they see this beggar and he's we learn later in acts he's he's forty years old at least, and he 's been lame since birth and Peter and John must have gone past that man many times we go in if you go to Jerusalem, you can still see those uh, temple stairs. They're irregular so that you have to concentrate. And uh, they've got these mikvah baths on either side. And then you go through these massive uh, gates. And they would have been familiar, I'm sure, with that, that man who had been there. Probably seen him, maybe talked to him, who knows. But this day, they go up there and he asks them for money and they stop. And Peter says to him, look at me. And he's expecting money, and he says, Silver and gold I don't have. Rather like uh, Stephen was telling us, I don't have money. But what I have, what is in me, is Jesus. In the name of Jesus, get up and walk. And he takes him by the hand, and the man rises up. That causes an incredible stir because everybody knows this man. And the one who is lame now walks. I don't know about you, but the, for me, that's what I want to experience. I don't want to go to India. I don't want to go to Africa. I've been to both. I want to sit here. I want to sit in this building. I don't want to read about it in somebody else's story. I want to see it. I want to be the one to say, rise up and walk. Do you? Maybe, maybe not. Like if I'm lame and you're walking by me and you're all I've got, what are you going to give me? Pity? A couple of bucks? And pray for me? I'm not accusing you, I'm saying what I would do. Feel guilty because I didn't give you more? Thank God I'm not like him. But if Jesus lives in me, what if he says, I live in you so that you can I can live through you? I can't heal anybody, he says, I know that. I'm under no illusions that you on your own have nothing to offer other than advice and theology. But if you let me flow through you, who knows what might happen. So how do you get from, well, maybe to stand up and walk? And so that's what I was sort of looking at as I was looking at Peter. going, Because it's so easy for us to get discouraged and it's so easy to go, I wish it was Peter. He walks up to people and he heals them. And you go, well, it's not that simple. Yes, Jesus is alive. Jesus lives in him. But what's the paradox that Paul talks about? What's the thing that's always talked about? I have to die so that he might live. Now, hold the picture of the father in your head and your heart. A father comes in and says, "Do this, do that, do the other thing. Get, I'll come back, and if you haven't done it, I'll give you a hiding." That's the model of many people. I'm going to hit you harder. I'll give you a greater punishment. I'll hold back your privileges. Do what I tell you. Don't question me. How effective is that? All it does is breed bring things under under the surface and and they stay there and they simmer there and what's your relationship with your dad like? Terrible. I haven't talked to him for years. Did your dad ever say he believes in you? No. All that stuff. What happens when the father comes and says, I love you. How are you? What are you doing today? Let's go do it. And you do, some of you model that. I know you do. Uh, Fred's modeled that to these sons. I've known you guys for 30 something years. And I've seen it. And I've been jealous of it. I said, man, I, you know that is so powerful. And others of you do. I know you do. How much easier is it to respond to a father where you have that relationship? And we don't know what happened to Peter when it, before, we, before Jesus came to the boat and said, um, "Let me can I borrow your boat to go out? We don't know what his father was like. And I don't know what Jesus' father Joseph was like. Jesus had terrible losses in his life. John the Baptist was, was his very close friend, cousin, while he was growing up. And then he had his head chopped off for the ministry. And Jesus carried on walking. Carried on saying, God is good healing the sick and having compassion. He didn't let John's death count against him. Joseph died before Jesus began his ministry. We don't know how Joseph died. But Jesus lost his earthly father. So he knew about loss. And so what was he trying to do with the disciples, do you think? I think with the disciples he was trying to say, your image of God as you visit him in the temple four times a year for massive big celebrations... The, the, the hierarchy um, lord it over you. You've got rules and regulations. Give me more money. Give me more money. Give me more money. It's very oppressive. Who wants to go? Who wants to be part of this? We only go because we have to. We only go because we might see some friends. But it's not because of God. Because God just seems to be difficult. Difficult. And when Jesus was walking with his disciples for three years, what he was doing was beginning to allow the Father who said to him, you are my son in whom I'm well pleased. He was, he was breathing that and incarnating that over them. Simon, you will be Peter. Simon, one day this is what you're going to do. The others probably looked at him, Simon? <laughs> Simon stands up and says something and then he thinks about it. Simon jumps in. He jumps in to the water and he walks and then he gets afraid and he doesn't. He does all kinds of things that are courageous and stupid. And God absolutely loves it. And Jesus loves it. How does Simon get from that man who says... um, I'll do anything and then he messes up and he doesn't do anything and he runs away. How does he get from that to walking in the marketplace to this this lame beggar and saying in the name of Jesus get up and walk looking so confident, so cool like he really knows what he's doing and now he's not thinking and then acting or acting and thinking it just seems to flow. Well it is God alive in him because it's after Pentecost, it's the Holy Spirit it's the presence of God in him. But you can, everyone here who says yes to Jesus is the presence of God in you. It's a whole other matter to say, have you got the confidence to allow the presence of God to flow through you? Because you don't know what's going to happen until you do it. So everyone here, as we've already heard, is equipped, way more equipped to do all kinds of things. So this is what I think uh, might encourage us. It's just that you start wherever you are And you keep moving. What do we need to know or be convinced of in order to grow in boldness? So, what if you would hear God the Father saying over you right now, wherever you are, with all your life, and He just says to you, "I mean, if I know what I think, and I used to be terrified of this. If you, if John was to call me up right now and start saying something, I'm just going to be so embarrassed." And you're going to bring up all the stuff that's not resolved in me. But what if Jesus was here, I'm Jesus, and I call you up? And there's kind of silence. What am I going to say? And all I say is, you are my son. You are my daughter. I call you by name. And I speak about the things in you that I love. What if that's God's starting point? As a father to you today. No matter what your earthly father is like, uh, as a father to you today, the Spirit of God, the Father of God speaks over you and says, you're my son, you're my daughter whom I love. And you go, but I've done all this other... He says, I'm not talking to that right now, I'm talking to the fact that you're my kid. I mean, how many of us have kids that are rebellious, have kids that have drifted away, have kids all over the place, they're still your children. And if you were to speak about them and you were to speak about the essence of them, you would say, this is the dream I had. This is who I saw. Well, that's how God feels about you. He's not religious at all. He's a passionate, loving Father who longs that the things in you that He deposited would come to life because they are the keys to your life. They are the things that actually will make you come alive. See, evangelism is not difficult. I hate the word myself. I think evangelism is like sneezing. If you've got a cold, you just sneeze and other people get it. And I think if Jesus is alive in you, other people will get it just because he's alive in you. I think techniques are awful. The more the love of the Father lives in you, the more it will spill out through you. It's just what he does. And he does it in all kinds of ways, depending on your personality, in all kinds of ways, but it will come out. You can't help it. So Peter... I believe had to learn the heart of the Father in order to become the hands of the Father on earth as in heaven. So let's start with just a very simple one. I'm just going to rush through this, and I mean that. Resurrection. Jesus was killed. Everything Jesus, Peter hoped for had died. Every expectation he had had ended up on the cross. And then Jesus rises from the dead, and, Jesus, and Peter runs to uh, the tomb. And he he finds that Jesus isn't there. And then Jesus appears to them a number of times. And what happens? Peter becomes convinced that Jesus has risen from the dead. He is the Son of God. He is the Messiah. I want to suggest to you, if you don't believe Jesus is the Son of God and is the Messiah, then nothing will work for you. It'll just be a story. It won't have any life. And I'm going to go through eight points and I'm going to highlight them very quickly. And I'm really just going to say, where, where are you needing to just say, I need to nail this one down a bit more. I need to find an answer for this for myself so I can become sure of it. Because it's the key to growing in the effectiveness of God living in us. That Jesus is not like any other God. He died on the cross and rose from the dead. There's no other claim. That's a unique claim of Christianity, which I couldn't care less whether it's, po- it's politically correct or not. In a country like Canada, we're going to probably have to stand up and and pay a price for not being politically correct. That's why I won't share a stage in multi-faith services. We have the right in Canada to to worship whatever you like, absolutely, but I'm not sharing a stage to all pretend that our ways are right. Because Jesus threw down the gauntlet and said, I am the way, the truth and the life. So it's not about being confrontational, it's not about being rude, it's not about being agnostic, it's just saying either he is or he isn't. And unless we work out our convictions, we won't have courage to do anything. So I think Peter, in those resurrection appearances, God was assuring him that his dad had not left him as an orphan, he was actually coming to him as a much-loved son and nobody can beat up your dad. Not even the Romans, not cancer, nothing. That's the reason you have hope. Nobody can beat your dad. No circumstance, nothing in this world can beat your dad. Because eventually he catches you, even through death. That's why he takes the sting out of it. Well then kill me. But if you're stuck in this world, death is the absolute worst thing that possibly can happen. That is the ultimate enemy. You go, but it's coming anyway. So the resurrection is huge. Is God who he claims to be in Jesus? What What did Peter experience through the resurrection? He experienced forgiveness. What did that mean? He failed completely with Jesus. He chickened out when it got tough and God came to him back through the resurrected Jesus and says, Peter, do you love me? Yes, I love you. Peter, do you? Oh, stop asking me. Yes, I love you. He says, I want you to know that I know that you know that I'm forgiving you. I don't want you to walk under this guilt forever. When I called you, I knew you were going to do this, but I love you anyway, because through this, I'm going to actually redeem you into something else. And you're going to be less cocky. You're going to be less brash. You're actually going to be humble, and you're going to be powerful. But you're going to know who you are, and you're going to know that on your own, you can do nothing. But now it's not going to be an excuse. It's going to be a launching pad for me to use you. Some of us are stuck in, I can't do it, I can't do it. It's all about me. Boring, you're boring, you're unattractive, it's terrible. Stop it. We all know you're weak, you're screwed up. Everybody is, get over it. But in the midst of that, God dwells and he says, but it's that very thing that is your weakness that I'm going to make a strength. Just give me some room to move and watch what happens. So Peter became convinced that despite everything that he had failed in, God had picked him up and he was being resurrected with Jesus into being the Peter, the rock that he was prophesied about earlier. And that started relationally. He experienced the forgiveness of God. He experienced the presence of God that was building him up and saying, Peter, we're not finished yet. Forgiveness. Don't live in your failure. Don't live in your past. Don't live in the things that you haven't been able to do. Rise up under the power of the cross and start saying, but God. There are lots of people who need the encouragement of the journey that you and I are on as we share the journey and our weaknesses. And so God is calling him into a future. I've just said that. And so he said to Peter, feed my sheep. Most people would say he's already failed. It's only three weeks. He's learned nothing. He's just repentant. He'll say yes to anything. And God says, no, you have no idea what's happened in him. And as I speak over him, he's actually going to rise up and be the most amazing leader you've ever seen. And it's going to be rooted in all the journey we've been on so far. Don't take shortcuts. Let God work with you wherever you are. Own your stuff and watch him move you through it. And so that's how Peter... This is three years we're talking about of serious engagement. It's not coming up to the front and having one prayer and saying, I'm changed. It's a process of walking it out. It's very cool because God just starts where we are and He goes with us. All right? So, forgiveness. Uh, you're called into a future. He's given it to you and He's also giving you the Holy Spirit, the power of God, in you to become extraordinary. How do you know you have the Holy Spirit? Because He promises He gives it to us as we say yes to Jesus. And what does the Holy Spirit do? He gives us what we don't have. And how do we know the Holy Spirit is in us? Because of the promise, not because you shake not because you speak in tongues, not because you do anything particularly. The sign of the Spirit of God in us is a love for Jesus. The sign of the Spirit of of God in us is love and compassion for other people. The sign of the Spirit of God in us is not the words you speak and not the worship you give. It's the servant heart. Is what you do with your time and your money. That's a sign of the Spirit of God in us. And Peter had said yes to him and he was filled with the Spirit. And he said, Lord, here I am. Use me. And so he was filled with the Spirit. We could spend a week on every one of these. When, Peter, when, they, were, when they were baptized at Pentecost and, and the Spirit came upon them, what happened? Peter stood up and said, this is how it fits into Scripture. I think a really healthy way of using scripture might be we're not having a Bible study on it until we've experienced it. Because Peter used the scripture to explain what the experience was. We tend to have Bible study after Bible study to inoculate ourselves against the experience. And there's an element of saying, Lord, bring it on. So there's a, all, But what I am saying is what, what happened in Peter's life aligned with scripture and everything that happens with us needs to align with scripture. We need to know the scriptures need to read the scriptures you need to study them together we need to know what God says rather than just oh I got a precious moment card and it was so beautiful and moved me the angels with me you know we need to have it rooted in the revelation of God's word and Peter had that uh, understanding and he had grown up in that understanding he was placed in a community of brothers and sisters. He wasn't doing it alone. Peter, in his failures and his strengths, he was meeting with people. He was sharing his life with people. It's a huge place for growth in our lives. Don't, don't separate, don't isolate. Allow God to work and draw you into community. A sign of the Holy Spirit in us is always drawing into community. I'll say this many times. We live in a very busy world. If you follow Jesus, you're going to have to drop some things. You can't do everything somewhere along the line you're going to have to say I can't do this in order to do that I've got to make time for Jesus and for community and in the midst of that people get to know you and then they say well how can God use you I know you, you say, isn't that encouraging he can use you too now it's easier to be a, you know a, a, somebody who's standing up and you don't know and I say this is who he is it's much more difficult when you're in the in relationship but that's the real place of sh- iron sharpening iron and Peter had been in that actually the whole time he was following Jesus. So Peter wasn't somebody who was out of touch of what was going on or what his personality was like because it had been drawn notes, attention to all the time. The good, the bad and the ugly. They continued to engage in worship and prayer after the resurrection, after the pouring out of the Spirit, out of meeting together and sharing their belongings. What do we read in Acts 3? They were going up to the temple to pray at 3 o'clock. They were still engaging. They hadn't arrived. It was on the way there that they were willing to take a risk. And why did they take a risk? Because God's Spirit had been in them and God's Spirit had worked with them over the last three years to the point where maybe this didn't feel such a risk anymore. And maybe Peter had a prompting from the Spirit that said, tell that man to get up and walk. And maybe after many years of pushing and shoving, Peter goes, I think Jesus is talking to me, John. I think he wants this guy to walk. You go. No, I'll go. You go. No. John was probably afraid. John's the sensitive poet. Stay close to Jesus. He loves me. Peter's the one who goes, let's go get it. So maybe going up to that temple, Jesus says to the Father, who's going to heal this man? Peter or John? John will probably write a book and a song, but he probably won't do it. What about Peter, well, (laughs) he'll do anything. And John can help explain it. He needs all of us. And so Peter, next week we'll talk about the impact of this miracle. Let's stand. Because all I want to encourage you with is really Stephen gave the, 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 the sermon and I'm just giving the illustrations. Is that we are equipped and God's spirit is in us. But what are the questions that you have, or what is the next what's the next thing for you? I can't answer that for you. What stops? It might be an image of God the Father like me. I, I, I thought for years if, if I was happy, he was angry with me. Um, I couldn't believe his generosity. I, I, I was always uncomfortable with that. I didn't know what that meant. I didn't believe he would use me. He would use everybody else, but he wouldn't use me if we were praying for people lots of fears, lots of insecurities, lots of uncertainties and I'm being very serious now. And at the end of the day, I just remember going, I remember I was 17 and I said, there's nothing else that's worth investing my life in. I got off track many times but at the core, that was it. To be able to know God's love and to share His love with other people and see His presence with other people was the most incredible thing. So, Father, I pray for you to just anoint my brothers and sisters this morning with your presence, with your encouragement. You are my son. You are my daughter, who I am jealous for. I'm never going to give up on you. I mean, if you saw what John got up to and I brought him back, there's hope for you. You should have heard the things he said to me, you should have seen the things he did. They so dishonored me but I had mercy on him and I brought him back. And I don't have favorites. So there's nothing in you that I cannot redeem. There's nothing in you I cannot work with. I am so passionately for you and in love with you that nothing you do is going to persuade me to discard you. So you're just going to have to deal with me and my love for you. I'm never going to give up. Ever. I'm never going to give up. And I'm also not going to leave you where you are because you tend to be satisfied with half-baked things and I want fully formed. My desire is that you come to the barbecue, as we heard. That we actually enjoy this journey. And that out of my love for you, you just actually find nothing else is worthwhile. So you just go, Dad, what's next? And you do it unafraid And you do it with joy. And yes, there'll be a bit of suffering along the way, but that's all worthwhile. So this morning you can choose, invite you you with me, open your heart to the Father. Just say, Father, I open my heart to you and I ask you to fill me with your presence, with what it means to be your son or your daughter. And I just ask you to take me to the next level so that I live out of a place of acceptance and not performance. And Lord, I give you all my excuses. I just ask you to release in me an excitement about the possibilities that are still to be found with you. I want to lay hands on somebody and see them get well. I want to walk through circumstances that used to kill me And stand tall and say, but God is faithful. He's going to see us through this. I want to be somebody who doesn't overreact. I want to be somebody who speaks of Jesus in the midst of all kinds of darkness. I want to make a difference. I want to be somebody who serves others rather than always has to be served. So let the Holy Spirit come upon you. Just receive him and just say, thank you, Jesus, that I can be Peter and John at the temple gate I want to see people walking and leaping and praising God because you have spoken through me and I want the love of the Father to burn in me I know who I am I am much loved so place your hands on the people next to you on their shoulders and just ask for the Father's love to be poured into them this morning no orphans here No orphans here. Jesus, let us pray blessing in your name, Father. Blessing in your name. Whatever the Father has been like to us, we pray that you fill it up with healing, that the love of the Father God would be upon us. And I break curses from fathers in the name of Jesus. I break words spoken by fathers that have caused us to be less than we're meant to be, I break them over you in the name of Jesus right now. Every word spoken that has belittled you, every word that has shamed you, every action that has shamed you, I break it in the name of Jesus. And Father, I pray that you speak over each person words of affirmation and love. Bless what you're doing in each one. Let confidence rise up, excitement rise up, anticipation, rise up. There is so much more to come. There is so much more to come. So just receive. And how you receive is you just say thank you. Just say thank you in your spirit as I prepare communion. Just thank you, Jesus, that I am much loved. Say it to yourself. Thank you that I am much loved. Thank you that I am a son or a daughter. Thank you that you have a future for me. Thank you that I'm not useless. Thank you that I'm not restricted and defined by my past. You're a good Father. Thank you that you equip me and empower me, even though I feel weak and ina- inadequate. I, I just speak death to those lies. Thank you that you can use me. So I just offer myself to you. Just hear the Father saying, I'm enough for you. I am enough. Take a day at a time. Pay attention to what's going on around you. And believe me for what you don't yet see.